we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckables? That's a new one. But that's, I can't get into the list. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. Thanks for uh, joining us here at the uh, WTF show in the garage at the Cat Ranch. Hold on. Let's get a lot of stuff out of the way right now. I'm just back from Vegas. I'm exhausted. I'm trying to regroup. I'm trying to rejigger my brain. I was overstimulated by all that bullshit in Las Vegas for the last three days. And I got home, collapsed on the bed, and now I got a cup of this. Pow! Whoa! I just shit my pants. That's justcoffee.co up available WTFpod.com. I'm going to try to get a lot of stuff out of the way uh, in in a in a more professional uh, way, uh, format. Like I'm going to try to do my plugs up front as I talk. Uh, like it, right here, right right now, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be at Hilarities this week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday at Hilarities. In Cleveland, Ohio, that is 25, 26, 27, 28 of August. So if you're in the Cleveland area or anywhere in Ohio and want to make the trip, uh, please come down. It's going to be funny. Here, it's a great place. I've never been there. I've never worked this club. I've heard about this club for since I started doing comedy. Uh, I'm just fortunate enough to, uh, at this late stage of my career, to all of a sudden have the opportunity to work at all the clubs I dreamed of working when I was a younger comic, but could not get into. That's exciting to me. On the show today, Carol Leifer, the amazing Carol Leifer, a prolific comedy writer, stand-up comedian, very interesting life turns. Uh, She was married to a comic briefly. Uh, uh, I have to ask her about whether or not Elaine on Seinfeld uh, was based on her. She was friends with that whole New York crew. She came up with those guys in New York. Very excited to talk to Carol Leifer. She will be in the garage momentarily. Meanwhile, what about me? What about Mark? How about Mark's needs? Why don't we talk about those for a few minutes? Because we so rarely do, am I right? So I was in Vegas for three days, and I really have to, in a big way, thank you WTF people that came out because... I'm not a Vegas guy. I don't really see myself as a Vegas act. I've been to this club a couple times before. Uh, it's a nice room. The The guy who runs it's a great guy. Court's a good dude. Uh, I knew what I was getting into, but I don't know. It It could have been shitty if you if you people did not come down. Uh, it was a pleasure to see you, get, get a couple CDs out to you, give you the new buttons, got the new buttons. Thanks for the nice little gifts, the tortilla chips and the green salsa that is still um, burning through my intestines right now. It's only the green chilies. I don't know why. Jalapenos, green chilies, have a little trouble with them. Doesn't stop me from eating them. I appreciate it. You know how I feel about Vegas. I think it's a soul suck. I think it's a parade of sadness that there's a, a deep effort to have a predictable good time. And I never know if anyone really is having a good time. I do know that getting up to go to the breakfast buffet at seven in the morning before you go do radio, it's like taking a collective walk of shame with a bunch of people coming from different shameful behaviors. I, of course, was just coming from my room, but there was shame in that because sometimes things happen in the room when I'm alone that I'm not proud of but they happen it's a hotel I'm on the road what are you gonna do but more importantly 
I tried to overcome my fear of losing money. I don't like to gamble. I've talked about this before. I'm not a good gambler. Uh, I don't usually get very lucky. And I ended up thinking once again that may, and, this, and I know that they're banking on this in Vegas. I know that they are waiting for someone like me to go, maybe this is my time. Maybe I, for once in my life, I can get lucky and get a, a, at least, I'm not even looking to win hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything like that. I just want to feel the buzz of gambling. I want to feel what it's like to be on a roll. I want to, I want to have the opportunity to get addicted to something new. I want to feel that compulsion, that not just the, the need to win, but that 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 feeling of winning over and over and over again that you want to chase for the rest of your life. I want to give up my life, my house, my career to an obsessive, sick gambling addiction. Can can I have that opportunity? I mean, look, I've been out, I've been sober for 12 years. It's time to start something new. So I did my best. I sat down, I started playing blackjack and I swear to you within an hour, I was down like $300, which was the limit that I gave myself. $300, that's it. Fuck you, no more. I can live with that. Problem was, that was Thursday. I was there through Saturday. So that required willpower, not only not to gamble, but not to, you know, get my fucking money back. You know, I don't need to take that shit from a casino, them taking my money. So what happened was I was willing to live with it, but then it made me feel stinky. It made me feel awful. It made me feel like an idiot. You know, there I am working at a club, working at a casino. It, they're paying me pretty good, but not that great. And now I just dumped 300 of my hard-earned dollars back into their operation. I know everyone's got to make a living. And I know casinos need to make a living. I know they're hurting down there, but it's really not on me to, to frame it that way. You know, I feel guilty. You know, it's $300. It's a good cause to keep Vegas alive. That's not the way I think. So come Friday, I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to have to invest another $100 to get my $300 back. You know, maybe I'll get that role. Maybe I'll get that new life as a gambling addict. So I start playing and I, I, I allotted myself another $100 to get my $300 back. All right, $500 in. So $200 later, I'm down. I'm down. Now I'm down $500. I don't have that kind of money. I'm just basically spending the money I haven't even been paid to do the fucking stand-up show for. So now I hate myself because I'm an idiot. And also I've decided that I have bad luck. I've talked about this before. It's like, how can I not get one little buzz, one little string of good cards, one little exciting moment? But then I found the game, folks. I found the beautiful game. It's a hand-dealt two-deck blackjack, and they deal you two cards down. The dealer gets one down and one up, and it moves fast. And people seem to be intimidated about it, so no one's ever playing it. And I sat down, and I and I and I, this was it, man. This was my game. It moved fast. It was exciting. And, and now I'm five hundred dollars in, and then I'm like, this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it back now. So I put another hundred dollars down, and within thirty seconds, that's that's a stretch. Within four minutes, I lost a hundred more dollars, and now I'm angry, and I'm like, what well, what the fuck? I I'm gonna. <laughs> $100 more in chips. So now I'm up, I'm going in $700 and then I, I lose that except for, except for $50. So I lost $50. So now I'm in for like $650. It's awful. No fun, no buzz, no rolls. Just this constant indication that I am a fucking idiot. And I just kept playing and something turned around 
and I started winning and I won like $200. I was playing $25 hands because I wanted to get my money back. I won $200 and I said, you know what? I'm going to stop. I'm going to enjoy the buzz of that. And I walked away. A few hours later, I went back, started playing again, won another $200. And I'm like, this is pretty good. This, this could be a living, I think. Just you know, speculative blackjack playing with no system in place. And then I step away from the table. And then I go back and I finally get all my fucking money back. The night after the second show on Saturday night, right before I'm about to go home, I'm at that table and I'm sitting there with a stack of all the money. I had already put $400 up in my room because I didn't want to touch it. So I was going back with just $100. And I broke even. And I want to say as a testament to me that when I broke even, I could have started over and said, no, I'm going to give myself a $300 limit. But folks... I did not do that. I went upstairs. I stacked my chips. I looked at them. I didn't cash them into the next day. So I left Las Vegas even. And for some reason, I believe that's winning. And I don't think I'm going to become a gambling addict. I wish I would have had an exciting, a more exciting button to that story. More exciting sort of like then I went upstairs. I got all 700. I put them on black and I won and I'm $1,400 up. Then I put all $1,400 on the number 27 and I won. And now I've got seven amount of money. And, and, and then I, 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 uh, I put it all on black again. And now I have a million dollars and I'm going to buy myself a new garage did not happen. Broke even, got up too early, felt shitty, ate a lot of buffet, a lot of buffet. God, the compromises you make with your dietary integrity when there is a buffet around. Holy shit, I was eating things I would never eat. Did not eat the uh, raw oysters at the buffet. Do not think that's a good idea. Saw raw oysters. I said, do you eat raw oysters at a buffet? Hell no. Did not eat the raw oysters. Did eat bread pudding, rice pudding, Soft serve ice cream, crab legs, ate those. Mound of barbecue at a buffet. I that's if if there's anything I'm ashamed of in terms of what happened in Vegas, what didn't stay in Vegas was my knowledge that I sat there and continued to eat plate after plate of food at a free buffet because it was free. And I was just one of those people. Yep. I am I am a I'm a buffet eater. Huh. <sighs> So now I'm back. I flew home, got in my car. Nice surprise in the car. Ants. Ants in the car. Where, how the hell does that happen? How do I have ants in my car? Where the fuck are they coming from? Is there a colony of ants in my car? Is there a queen ant burrowed under the seat with her big, gross, distended egg sack just laying there defenseless, surrounded by an army of idiots who are wandering around my car looking for little pieces of candy and, and sugary things? How the fuck are there ants in my car? I mean, is that what what kind of indication is that? How did my c- car become the free buffet for the ants at the little uh, at the casino beneath the rug in my fucking Camry? I don't know. I don't know where they came from. I don't know if I was parked on an ant hill. I don't know what to do about it. I have to assume it's not a colony and it's just some renegades. So I've got some mercenary force of ants who are now far away from you know their army. And are now subcontracting. Hopefully they'll get out of my car. Maybe they'll meet my community of ants here. And be taken in. And, and looked after. As, as members of another tribe. Who will now work with us. To, ter- you know, to make life miserable for Mark. When he gets up and he sees us. You know, parading around his fucking sink in the morning. 
Weiser in here. Oh, oh my God. I know. Do you know he's the whole reason I'm, I do stand-up? I started stand-up, but that's a good, that's good for the air. Yeah, well, we can get into it. We can be on the air as quickly as now. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear yourself? Yes, through the miracle of fiber optics. Yeah, it, it all works. <laughs> uh, in my garage here at the Cat Ranch today is Carol Leifer. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mark. Yeah, Paul was in here. Who else did I interview that you would know? I mean, I, I interviewed Richard Lewis. I got up here. Uh-huh. That was no easy chore. Uh-huh, that's pretty great. Yeah, he required a car. <laughs> he didn't want to drive, and I was lucky enough to get him at nine in the morning, so he was actually relatively slow paced. Oh, nice. Yeah. Actually, Richard Lewis was a class behind me Yeah. In um, starting in New York when I did. So how did Paul Reiser play into your starting? Well, here's the really wild story. Okay. So I went to school, uh, college in Binghamton, New York. You're from soon, New York, Well, right? no. I grew, um, my family's from Jersey. I grew up in New Mexico. It's SUNY Binghamton? Yes. Okay. And um, we... Uh, we're in a theater group together. He told me about this theater group. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, he was like the funny guy in the theater group, and I was the funny gal. Uh-huh. And we started going out. I fell in love with him like I did many funny guys because he knew the 2,000-year-old man album. Sure. yeah. You know, yeah. could lip sync it like I could. Uh-huh. And... He grew up in the city. I was from Long Island. He said, you know, during the summer, I go to these comedy clubs like Catch Rising Star, and I go on and I audition. And uh-huh. I was like, wow, that sounds like a really... But, you know, but it was so new, like in college, like right. this guy goes to nightclubs, like but what's you weren't, the story? But you weren't thinking about doing stand-up. I yeah. wasn't thinking about it at all. Right. And then I went with him and tried it yeah. at Catch Rising Star. And yeah, it, yeah. And it went well and to the point where he was a year ahead of me at school and we both passed the audition at the comic strip passed by Jerry Seinfeld and um, I transferred to Queens College to finish school and Paul had graduated and we started our stand-up comedy careers but I always say to Paul and we're still really dear good friends uh-huh. I really feel like maybe if I hadn't met him and found that path into stand-up and also having someone hold my hand kind of yeah. you know, do it that way right. if I would have even found it I, yeah, it's it, probably not. Right? What do you mean Seinfeld passed you? Did he have that power at that time? Was he hosting? He, what do you mean? He Yeah, he was the MC. Oh, okay. And he'd only been doing it a year, but he was already a star at the comic strip. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so, okay, so that class then. I See, I see it in classes too, and it gets a little hazy around those classes. But so your class was then Seinfeld, uh, he's a little bit ahead of you, right. Riser, you, Larry, Larry Miller, Mark Schiff, Larry Miller, exactly. Who just he oh, was in uh-huh, here? Uh huh. Um, who else was there? Um, Dennis Wolfberg. Dennis Wolfberg. Rita Rudner. Oh my God! Um, Do you talk to her? You know, I haven't seen Rita because she, I think, Australia, lives in, right? She lives in Vegas and oh, has Vegas. her own room there. Who am I thinking about? Didn't she marry an Australian? Wasn't she, she did marry a promoter. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think he's British though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's got a regular gig in Vegas. Yeah, she's got a regular good swinging gig in Vegas. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she had a talk show for a while, but let's get back to you. I just saw your young comedian special. I think. Was oh my that, god. They run it on HBO Comedy. You know? I know. <laughs> I know from the weird Facebook messages I get. Oh really? Yeah. You're on. <laughs> yes. It's time travel. Yes. You're your 12. daughter. Your daughter's on TV. <laughs> <laughs> that was like. 
It must have been like the second or third one. What was that? It, it was, was a, uh, 1983. Steve Sweeney, you. Steve Sweeney, Bill uh, Moore. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Looking all puffy-faced. and <laughs> It's amazing how much his style has not changed outside of him being political yes. in terms of his structure. That's he was part true. of that group, too, right? He was part of that group. Was he always like he was? He was always, um, yeah. He, You know, what I loved about that time, and, you know, I am very nostalgic about my comedy oh, roots. because I'm so glad. Yeah, I have really powerful, great feelings about it is because I feel like it's a time gone by. We all liked each other and watched each other and critiqued each other and helped each other. And I remember when Bill Maher first came on and you know that feeling when a bunch of comedians sit and watch... You know, a, a club manager can say, yeah. oh, I, I saw somebody good. And it's like, no, let the comedians watch. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, it's yeah. like, no, this guy's really good. Oh, you really? know, And you know it yeah, in yeah, two yeah. seconds. Now, where did you start out at? I started, I basically started in college and I moved out here for a year. I was a dorm at the comedy store. And then it, and then I uh, kind of hit the wall. I moved back to Boston in 88. So I started there, kind of. Uh-huh. And then I moved to New York in 89. So the original improv was in its last throws. Right. Silver had it. Uh-huh. So I was able to perform there. Uh, the original catch I never got to do because Lewis never liked me, but I hung around there. But that would have been the late 80s. So, you know, you guys were long gone. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember seeing... Maybe seeing Larry David once or twice, and Fred Stoller, and some other people, Larry Amaros. But I did, were you even doing comedy? St- you were doing comedy through the eighties. I was, um, and you married fact, a comic. Yes, I did. I I tried to get him on the show after seeing that movie. It was in Rich Scheidner, and I talked to him a bit, but I haven't been able to get him. Oh, out that's of all right. the comics, out of all the Jews in the world, yeah, you marry that guy who's not a Jew and he's nine feet tall and. <laughs> And he's nuts. <laughs> well, he, you know, he is a very interesting guy mm-hmm. and a very charismatic no, guy. No, no, I like him. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. saying anything no. negative about him. So, you know, that's what led me to <laughs> marrying him. But, you know, I think we would both agree that it was uh, kind of a rash decision, you know, maybe something. It was a crazy time. It was very doing a lot of drugs and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know nutty crazy yeah. when you're in your early 20s kind of thing didn't you guys tour together we did a little bit i kind of remember that. yeah you know why because i never liked to close because yeah. i didn't like that pressure and yeah. he was a great closer because he's so big and loud yeah and so it's like if i can middle and you can close like let's do her because yeah i never i was never never been able to talk to uh, like significant others of comics someone suggested i do a show with wives or girlfriends of comedians uh-huh and none of the comedians will really allow it i'm surprised well i think they're afraid that uh, the truth will be revealed about what insecure unbearable people they are <laughs> <laughs> well you know at this point it was so long ago it's yeah. really like an, it is another, another life. life yeah well let's go back to like because i like people who are nostalgic about coming from comedy because i am that way too i feel intrinsically and emotionally connected to almost everybody i started with even if i didn't talk to them yes, that much yes at that time there was really two clubs or maybe like Dangerfields was probably there but it was the comic strip catch sometimes Dangerfields. no it was Dangerfields. the comic strip catch and the improv oh the improv yeah and Dangerfields was kind of like you do it for i remember doing prom shows there right like it was oh it was like that then like yeah. this weird place no one went yeah because no it was you did not creepy. go on there regularly no like only three people did hiram kasdan used to host there and that was it <laughs> yeah and i, I didn't even know that hiram um yeah he i remember he hosted, hosted an there. open mic there i played there once uh maybe when i was in college yeah to, uh, to audition and uh-huh. he was there like still talking <laughs> like he talks right and that's all i remember about it other than being a frightening place yeah no there were the the three clubs and um you know 
what I, I mean, what I think is interesting, and it would be interesting to the audience, is like we've never met before. Yeah. I've certainly, you know, heard about you over the years, and heard that you're, you know, a great comic, and have heard, you know, WTF and all yeah. that. But it's like even not knowing each other, the fact that we're both, you know, came up as stand-ups, There's like a bond there instantly. Yeah, yeah. That you know. It, it just happens. Yeah. It's just a kinship. Yeah, you know? it's weird, right? Yeah, and it is. And because a comedian, I really find that other comedians only understand other comedians. And as much as you, you know, I have a great partner now, which is a whole other story that I've been with someone I love and for 15 years. And as much as I love her, like she'll never understand my world of stand up like other comedians. Right. Do, you because know? it crosses gender and race and everything else. That The basic understanding of comedians yes. is that we're all in this weird gypsy-like selfish kind of... In, it, it's I, I can't quite explain it, but I definitely know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it's a real, it's a guerrilla way of making a living. Right, You know, as right. opposed to... And then if it's a Jew comedian, then then you have the Jewish thing too, yes, yes. so then it's double layered. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I was thinking about it because even this past Saturday night, I did stand-up for a charity event, um, like I do a lot, and... Um, you know, it's so typical. Before I did the gig, I said to them, it was in New Jersey, I said to this group, um, I would love to go on early in the evening. And what I find when I go on early is it's good for the crowd, it brings a lot of energy, yeah. and it'll be great. Yeah. And they got back to me and said, you know what, we always find comedy in the, after the second intermission is better, that works for us. Anyway, they were paying me, so I felt like I couldn't push it right. that far. And I went on for an event that started at five o'clock at eleven thirty oh, at night. And no. you know, you know And how much were you freaking out before? Just like I was totally clock. freaking out and really angry and mad, which you know as a yeah. performer is the worst thing to yeah. get your head in that space. <laughs> yeah. And you have no recourse because you're not with an agent or manager, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just you and any other comic knows a about structuring a show you can't put on a charity show and start at five and and think you're going to entertain people at 11 30 at night at what age were they were they middle-aged people i mean no they mean? were i would say 35 was the average age okay so so you're steaming backstage and yes there's no one to call no one to call nothing to do even how are they handling it are they like don't worry or no, i'm so sorry it's just it ran like you know it runs long it's like of course these things run long because you're presenting these awards to people and it's tor- they don't understand we know yeah. because this is what we do for a living yeah. it's torturous for the yeah. audience you're torturing your audience yeah. you should always make a, you know a charity show max two hours right and then you'll get people to come back right. next year and they'll give you even more right. money but when you make it torturous for the audience and then for your performers oh. it's disaster what happened so i went on eleven thirty. you could feel them being like oh, i want to get home i need to get home go. and i did a very short set and they were very polite with their applause i passed a ton of people as i was going to the gig in the hotel going we wanted to stay but we're so tired oh, no. you know and we know any other comic <laughs> has been in that situation like me three fucking thousand times yeah. before and knows it and yeah. knows the horribleness the walking off and nobody parts the curtain for you and you're looking for the curtain to yeah. you know where uh, it breaks uh, yeah the embarrassment on top of it to add to <laughs> yes. things you gotta stumble around like an idiot exactly what kind of charities do you usually do i do here's the thing a lot of times you know i really feel uh uh, you know charitable about a lot of things and i'll waive my fee if and if they buy a lot of books yeah and this group bought 600 of my books i'll book. waive my fee if you what, what's the title of it's it? called when you lie about your age yeah. the terrorists win <laughs> all right so if they, okay, okay so if they buy a bunch of books so this was um for marriage equality okay a jersey group so for you know the gay groups 
the animal groups, because I'm a big animal person. Yeah. Uh, Jewish. Yeah. A woman, you know, yeah. pro-choice, you the feminist things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty much the gamut of my, yeah. Those are your Those are your. Those areas. are my big four <laughs> things. So a lot of times people say, will you do this event? And, you know, I'll, I'll do that for them if I feel a certain... Uh, Kinship, a little sadaka, yeah, 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 not to be confused yeah. with Neil, for um, you know, for that for whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go back to what is it, the late seventies? Yes. Okay, so I want to know who your generation was sitting around looking at because when I was coming up, you know, there was always the guys ahead of us. Where well, you got to watch this guy. And uh-huh. I have to imagine at that time. I mean, was Andy Kaufman was around? No, 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 not no, yet. no. He was, he was, gone? The, he was. He was the class before me, even Elaine Boozler, who I saw yeah. and felt like, oh, I want to be like her. Right. She's a comedian I can relate to who's not just doing Am I Right, Ladies? Yeah. And, you know, girl shit. Yeah. Um, she was already gone, too, when I started. So who was around? Well, it was Seinfeld was the star. And yeah. like I said, it was uh, amazing that he'd only been doing it for so short a time. Right. And he was perceived that way. He was the only person of my generation who... We all fucked around all day. I mean, that's the beauty of you know oh, being just that wandering age. Around, and he was like, down. "I have to write every day." And we we're like, "Oh God, you know." <laughs> it was like an hour, was, you know. But he, he seemed like Einstein to us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to he have to go made, off, and, and you guys just wanted to go eat. Yeah, or we just get drunk or exactly. Eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like people, you were saying, you know, Larry Miller. I mean, of the bigger people, like I remember. Uh, Robert Klein coming into the improv and wa- seeing me, and I had a particularly bad set, but coming over to me and saying, um, stay with this, you have something, you have a spark, don't yeah. l- let the audience you know, bum you out, keep yeah. doing it, that. Yeah. I mean, he was, I think, our god. Yeah, yeah, he's a, I, it took me a long time to appreciate him. I, mm-hmm. I had some weird uh, interaction with him where he was uh, very overbearing and, uh, and a bit nasty. And, yeah, that uh, so, can kill it for you. And but I, he was never one of my guys when I was growing up. But I went back. I actually watched him on SNL when he hosted SNL, uh-huh. like in that first season. Wow! And it was like holy shit. I mean, he had this capacity to like song and dance and mimic and everything, and yeah. just making these huge bits. Mm-hmm. He was pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, he was. He was definitely and Richard Pryor. You know, um, at the, the movie or no? He the did, uh, yeah. the first so, concert movie. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, first yeah, concert live, movie. Live in concert. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. changed my life. Right? That thing was amazing. Yeah. Just talking about yourself, that kind of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But like, you're a real comic. I mean, Christ, you do comedy still, and you did, you were a stand-up for years. Yeah. I mean, some people like did stand-up and then got the opportunities that you did, and then just kind of, you know, let it go. No, I don't think you can ever, ever give it up. Well, even talking to Paul, I mean, even talking to Riser, when you really look at his career, I mean, he was intensive stand-up for what, maybe seven years, and then he got a huge break, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, then he could really pick and choose. And it doesn't seem like he keeps his uh, his chops in place. No, I mean he. It's what's so interesting too about him as as a real artist. You know, when I met him in college, he was a music major, right? And uh, was brilliant with composing and on piano. And you know, he's taken that now to doing this album with Julia Fortnum. I'm going to go, actually go see him next month at the um, at the Roxy, I think, and um, that he's explored that side of himself. But you know, I've always felt like. Like being a comic, it's in my DNA. It's yeah. like in the bones. Yeah. And w- there was a time when I was writing for Seinfeld that I didn't do stand-up as much. And then I would go on stage. I remember the first time I went on, it was like, I felt like yeah. an auditioner. It's like, I'm never going to happen. this happen again. I need to honor like what gave me everything. Yeah. And what kind of makes me tick, too. Well, that's great to hear that. 
yeah. because there's some like even uh, you know even Richard Lewis was you know as respectful as he is of his uh, of his um, peers, you know he's like I'm still doing it. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, I'm still out there right. and I love it. This is what makes me tick. So, like, when it comes to uh, your parents, I mean, you talk a lot about being a Jew. I talk a lot about being a Jew, but I'm not a Long Island Jew. That's a very specific, very sort of, it seems, authentic uh, mm-hmm. Jewish uh, archetype. Yeah. Now, what, what was that like for you? What, what, are their, what were their responses to it? Where did they come from? Well, you know, my father, uh, who has uh, since passed, um, wanted to be a comedian. It was his dream. And he was very funny and was like the tumbler, you yeah. know, the joke teller of the neighborhood. Yeah. And everybody always knew him as funny. And I watched him as a little girl telling these jokes and the power of it and um, really was enthralled by it. Uh-huh. And so um, when I started to want to become a comedian, um, I remember my father, you know, was like, I was like, oh, I passed the audition at the comic strip. My father was like, well, you know, Carol, uh, show business is a big cash business, and you can't beat cash. <laughs> <laughs> that was, he was, at least he was supportive. <laughs> he was, oh, totally. No, he was like, you got to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. You know, he was really happy for me, and I look back now that he's not here anymore, and that he didn't fulfill his dream, but was so happy for me that I did. Is really you what know, kind quite of business something. was he in? He was an optometrist, and his name was Seymour. Seymour. See, uh, look at that. Yeah. But um, you know, he's told jokes to his patients sure, and, yeah, and all that. Yeah. And my mother um is still living. She is a shrink. Really? And, um yes. And has been your whole life? Um, yeah. She became a shrink. She got her degree like when I was in high school. But um I think the combination of, you know, like this outgoing <laughs> comedian father and my mother, the quiet, more intellectual shrink, you know. As, as I'm kind of like the fused version of it. Well, that's nice, though, that you, I mean, it sounds like at least they're both intelligent people and they were supportive and, you know, did they, they didn't go through that period where they were frightened for your choices? No, my mother did admit she's a little, at times, a little too honest about things. Oh, um, isn't that horrible? Shouldn't there, there is no, there shouldn't be a statute of limitations on shit your parents can tell you. <laughs> like, they, I, I've realized this later in life where my parents are about to, you know, I want to tell you, you know what, let me just stay in the dark. Right. I don't, you know, I don't... <laughs> well, she, um... She confided that she did think that I was something I would have gotten out of my system and right. I would have gone on to a be phase. a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, my father, the most important, he did get to see some great things that I feel really, you know, great about. Like the first time I did the Letterman show, it wasn't really doing the Letterman show as much as my father seeing my name in the New York Times. Yeah. yeah. Like that, <laughs> that was, was a big a, deal. Yeah. And then I got reviewed by the New York Times and I got a great review. Yeah. And he came with me to Westbury Music Fair when I opened for Jay Leno, and um, I had a great set, and I did really well, but the next day I got, um, in the review in Newsday, they gave a great review to Jay, and they panned me, and I thought my father said, as a really good Jewish father would, he said, the reviewer is clearly (laughs) (laughs) anti-Semitic. Without a doubt. Yeah. So, that, so it's interesting that that your generation came on the sort of breaking wave of that old timey show business that, you know, there was still, you know, like Jay must have been what he must have been in his 30s at that time. And he was big already. Right. Yeah. Kinda. And I for him, it was 87. Yeah. So there were still guys around like Alan King and those guys were still sort of still performing. And you did how much opening work did you do? Um, did you open for big like old timey guys? You know, I opened for, you know. Uh, a lot of people like uh, the Pointer Sisters and... Oh, you remember, did that, huh? The yeah. music, uh, was it horrible? <laughs> you know, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. But um, 
the music acts weren't as bad. I mean, I opened, though, for the Beach Boys once. Um, one of the Beach Boys, you know, this is how long ago it was, who's like dead now, um, well, Carl Love. several of them. Yeah. yeah. Saw me on Letterman and asked me to open for Carl them. Carl Wilson? Carl Wilson, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, in um, Lake Tahoe yeah. for them. And I'd only been doing stand-up for a little bit, and I wasn't casino ready. Right. And... Um, so I was with them for New Year's Eve, yeah. and uh, the audience obviously was very drunk, and there were these like frat guys right in the front. That's already bad. <laughs> <laughs> and they, Mark, they literally were pulling on the mic cord, so and nobody was policing the room. So I'm literally having a tug of war first oh about the God. mic. Yeah, and um, they were chanting "reefer, reefer," like you know, like re- yeah, instead of my name, and yeah. um. Yeah, that was isn't the that, worst gig. Isn't ever. that weird that you know, given that gig that you did the other night, and given that experience, that these are not unusual experiences. That there's this constant battle. Yeah, uh, like I, I quoted a lot, but Harry Shearer once said to me that you know, comedians are do what they do to try to control why people laugh at them. Like uh-huh. in, in my heart, you know, the most horrifying thing for me as a person is to be embarrassed. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be standing there embarrassed. Right. Yet every night we put ourselves in these positions where there's no way you're gonna. There's no way you're not gonna be embarrassed. <laughs> I know. And it could happen any fucking point in yes. your career. Some idiot can tug on your mic cord mm-hmm. and you got to sit there and wrestle with this dummy. Exactly. I mean, even <laughs> to the point of, and it never ends, of this past Saturday night, yeah, yeah. walking off stage where people have been sitting there for six looking and a half hours looking. and looking for the opening for the curtain. But see, this is why I love stand-up though, because it makes you, I think, a really strong person. Because any personal stuff that I've experienced that's embarrassing or horrible. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like what I experienced at work is 30 <laughs> times worse than this shit. This yeah, is a piece of cake. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. That it's no. So when you were, okay. So now you knew Larry and you knew uh, Jerry. Now you knew Larry as a standup. Were you guys friends? As a standup. I, when I auditioned to Catch Rising Star, he was the MC, the host. and he, Larry David was. Yeah. And he passed me on that audition. So he was the guy that at where catch, mm-hmm. and he like I only saw him a couple times, and I never saw him finish a set. Right. I mean, like I never like I saw him when I was very young, and he was I think it was just after he had done Fridays. Yes. And he like twice I saw him would not finish. Like, he he'd had get a, the shortest fuse ever. And he would get, but like three minutes in, I know do, I'm done. I can't I'd go. But it was always based on you know. If somebody wasn't looking or listening or said something to him, he would just be like, that's it. I'm out of here. You know? And if you knew you were going on after Larry David, if your spot was at like 1210, yeah. you had to be there at 1150 because you knew at any second he could walk off. <laughs> <laughs> and as off stage, was he a pleasant person? You know, he people always ask about him. I mean, obviously, the connection to Seinfeld, ask about him, ask about Jerry. I don't think people realize... You know what a softy he is. I mean, I, yeah, I was he's surprised when I sweetie. met him, like later, like recently. And uh-huh. the the con- the the difference between him and the character is extreme. Yeah, like you really like you watch enough Curb, you sort of want to believe that's him. But he's a very sweet guy. And he is uh, this. He just has the biggest heart. Yeah, you know. He's what about really... Jerry? Though I mean, I don't want to be catty, and I know you get asked these questions a lot. But I'm one of these people for as long as I've been doing comedy. I, I'm willing to appreciate Jerry Seinfeld for for what he's contributed in as a comic. But I never ever got a sense of who that guy was. And and for me, when I watch comics, I need to see their vulnerability. And I like I would watch him for years. I can you know I I know he's a great craftsman and everything else, but I just never got a sense. 
of who he was as a person. Hmm. I'm, I'm really, I'm surprised only because, um, you know, especially working with someone, when you work with someone for 75 episodes on something, you really see the real personality of somebody. And, you know, there were so many comics who were really kind of hysterical bosses, you know, yeah. along the... You know, the Roseanne like stories or, or that you pan, hear. Or bad hysterical. Bad hysterical. Okay. <laughs> where people were afraid and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, intimate... You know, a fellow comics as writers intimidated them. Yeah. I mean, I always say this about Jerry, and I, I mean it. He's the most together person I've ever met who hasn't had any therapy. Yeah. I mean, he's very... He's very even and... Um, a great person to work for and people loved working for him and Larry I think what they also smartly did was set up a very a very good you know team working together I mean Larry really supervised the show obviously because Jerry was in it and couldn't oversee all the details but always deferred to Jerry like if there was a you know a question about a bit or an idea or a joke you know, Larry was always, it's Jerry's call because his name is on the show. And I thought that was really smart. But working for them, it was a great environment, a pleasant environment. And, and Jerry never needed to throw around the weight of his ego to the people that worked for him, which, you know, I think is rare. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, stand-ups can, could be monsters in that and situation. I get, and he probably appreciated the fact that he was surrounded by great actors and great writers and that, uh, you know, he maybe he actually knew his limitations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, which is important as a grown-up to know right. that, you know, we're all a team here and it's all going to make the, the, the final product look yeah. good. And I think your explanation of him would explain why I've been uncomfortable with him. Mm -hmm. I have a very difficult time with people who are together. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, I, that's it. I mean, if, I, if, I, if I'm in conversation with someone who's got their shit together, it's going to be hard for me not to try to make them fall apart somehow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's how I emotionally connect with people. Right. Because I don't know where you're coming from. But, you know, I think also I have an advantage, I think, being female in that um, I feel like the guys that I started with really, I feel like I have a kind of brotherly, sisterly relationship where they kind of like a yeah. big brother kind mm -hmm. of thing. And I still get advice from, he's also a very sage person uh, yeah. just about the business. and yeah. You know, even when I was a stand-up starting out and I would get discouraged, you know, he made a baseball analogy to me that I didn't really understand. They had to explain, you know, a really good batter is a three-something, as yeah, a three-something yeah, average. Yeah, I'm not a sports guy, yeah. Oh, okay, but, you know, meaning you hit, you know, three times out of ten. Right. So you have to look at the bigger picture and not set by set of getting good and getting better. And you were on you you were on that uh, writing staff for the first season or how many seasons? I was on for the three middle seasons. Okay. And now I don't know if it's true that they based Elaine on you somewhat. I know you probably fielded that question before, but is that true? Hmm, have I? Well, we don't um, have to do it. I mean, I it's it just, it's sort of an interesting story. Yeah. You know, it's kind of something that really took on a life of its own. Right. It's really a small detail. I mean, I know that when they were coming up with the characters for the show, I know that Jerry thought it'd be interesting to have a female character that you've already dated because it really changes the dynamic of it in a myriad of interesting ways. And so in that respect, I think, you know, uh, that's an inspiration from, you know, our relationship. But besides that, you, you know. You dated him? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh mm -hmm. my God! You dated all the comics. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> so that's Riser, Seinfeld, Scheidner. Mm -hmm. Who else? Um. Oh God. 
Uh, I th- probably those are the big the big three. Well, let's go with some second stringers. I've been around a long time. I just want some dirt now. <laughs> you know, here's the thing too. You know, um, I like funny people. Yeah, I loved funny men. Yeah, and I don't think people realize too when you're coming up as a comic, and especially at that time. Every night I went on a comedy club. Yeah. I mean, it was... It's your you life, right. And yeah. they understood your life. Right. Yeah. And if you go to the movies, you go during the day. Yeah, yeah. Because at night, you're at the clubs. Right. And you're doing three sets a night. No, I understand it. Yeah. And and I know you've had your dalliances with funny women. So yeah, I, I think that, you know... <laughs> Wait, what do you know? <laughs> I mean, oh, I know. Uh, what kind of research did you do? <laughs> I married one, but she didn't stay in the business. But I've dated a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I, the only difficult thing about it is that, you know, there is sort of a point where uh, someone's going to overshadow the other one. Right. And, you know, to be supportive effectively becomes difficult when your egos are involved mm-hmm. or if opportunities are, are had by one or the other. It just, it becomes a mess. Yeah. Did you find that? Well, um, I think that, you know, it's it is complicated. It's definitely a complicated situation. And I always look at, you know, like the Academy Awards, you know, like when Julia Roberts won the Oscar and she was with I think Benjamin Bratt. Yeah. It's like I always watch them up on the winners thing yeah. and it's like, bye bye relationship. Oh, won't yeah. see you a year from now. That's right. You know? It's yeah. just too I think it's just too hard. And I think in having a successful relationship now. Having someone who's not in the business really has worked better for me. Yeah, it's better because especially yeah. if they don't even give a shit about it in some level, mm-hmm. that you're just who you are and you have your job yes. and they're not hung up on <laughs> that guy or this guy or you sit in front of the TV going, oh, fuck, look at that. Why does that guy get in that? Yeah, because it it can, it will get competitive like that. Oh, yeah, it it's the worst. Help, but. So well, you're two, you did two series, right, that you created? Um. Yeah. After Seinfeld. Yes. And one ran for a little while. What happened with those? Uh, one of them was called All Right Already. Yeah, which I always liked because I thought it was so Jewy, yet slightly coded. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, uh, like super Cody Jewy. Yeah. You know um, what I'm saying, though. Yes, All I right do. Already, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was on uh, the WB. And you starred in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it ran for a season, and it's something I'm still very proud of, even though it didn't um, uh, go beyond one season. I don't know. I feel kind of, you know, Garth Anseer at the time was the head of WB, and um, I felt a little bit of vindication that I saw him at a party at Max Munchnik's like um, a couple years ago, and he really was, um, he'd had a lot to drink, and Garth Anseer came over and said, I'm so sorry about canceling. Really? All right, already, yeah. And I was like, Garth, even though you've had a couple of cocktails, I'll take that to the bank, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, that made yeah. me feel really good. That's great. Um, but, you know, it was really fun. I um, had a great writing staff, and I thought we put on, you know, made some great shows, and Jerry Adler played my father, and Mitzi McCall was my mom, and you know, Amy Asbeck and, you know, some great people in it. Um, but, um, you know, you just you, you, you just go on. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, what was the reason? Was it just a viewership reason or it didn't? What? Yeah. They said that, um, you know, the, the ratings weren't high enough. I mean, I look back now, it's kind of like what some of the Thursday night comedies on NBC get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know. There's so much you can't control in yeah. show business, and that's once it, it's like you know grasshopper. Like once yeah. you get that, yeah, you control the things you can't control, and the things you can't control, like just say, 
you know, what That's the fuck? It. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that you just or else on. you're just going to be yeah the yeah. heartbreak is unbearable right. over and over again yeah and then there was another one right and then um i co-created ellen degeneres's second sitcom oh, with yeah, yeah, yeah. the brilliant mitch hurwitz yeah. of arrested development yeah 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 and um that was a a, a good experience um but also uh, you know a weird time in the um ellen had lost her other show she'd kind of been pummeled about that about coming out you know, and then a year later went on to do her talk show, so. Which is huge. Yeah. And she got a lot of love there. Mm-hmm. Were you out then? I wasn't um, out only because I wasn't, I was more behind, you know, uh, behind the scenes. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't until my book came out that I really started to do the round of, you know, doing Letterman and all the big talk shows again that... Um, I started to talk about it because I talk about it in my book. Right. Now, what? Oh, before we get into that, your relationship with Letterman, I mean, you were on a lot. I yeah. mean, like you and Richard were on a lot. 25 times. And you were, what was your relationship with him? Did you have a relationship with him off st- screen or was it just I did. Of- we had a very um, good friendship. Um, I was lucky that he came to the comic strip one night um, when I was performing. I had heard after the fact he was there, but... It literally led to my going on the show, and when I went on his show, he said to me after you know the NBC yeah, was m- yeah, more relaxed vibe. Sure. Like anytime you have a set, Carol, I want you to come on the show, and um, that was enormously helpful to me. You know, in the eighties to go on yeah. and do that many appearances, and we hung out a little bit and were friends. And he also executive produced another special that I did called carol doesn't leave her anymore <laughs> for cinemax and <laughs> yeah. um it's so funny you know cinemax now your head goes to like oh is it a soft core yeah, yeah, <laughs> porn yeah, flick right. no well, it I was a comedy special run, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah um so he was very helpful to me too, but you haven't done time. it lately i did for my book oh yeah was and it I fun done was it was, it, was, it, it was amazing have you been like because like sometimes when you don't uh, aren't as close to somebody anymore it's very emotional to do the shows you know, it was because I hadn't done it in so many years, but it was very, um, it really, you know, came together great and the appearance went very well, which I was happy about. And, uh, you know, it's a different world. I mean, he's not as accessible as he was way back sure. when and hanging out in the halls and the makeup room going over his cards yeah, and yeah. talking to you, Yeah, you know, but that kind of shit happens. But um, I, it was great. I mean, if people out there go to my website, caroleeford.com. Yeah. I have my reel there, and it's of all the big shows that I did this past year, and my Letterman, you know, clip is on there too. So. Did you get some big laughs? I did. That's great. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that would be like the worst thing? You go back to doing Letterman after not being there for so many years, and then you go and yeah, it blows, and it's like fuck. It'd be horrible. Yeah, <laughs> but he's so like you know, he's such a class act, and he's such a weirdo. It's so great. I mean, I always watched him when I was in college. I was I've been with him since the beginning. So when I did that show, and I didn't get to talk to him really, mm-hmm. and I don't know him. But to me, that was that's the greatest sort of prize of doing. You know, that that's just to be there with him. And have him like you, yeah, seems such like a, such a big deal. I know. Did you you did Carson too though, right? I did, but I only did it once. Did you feel that with him? Um, you know, uh, it was a really uh, funny kind of story to me, and I think about it a lot in my show business career because I kind of feel like I got my tenacity, yeah, that I think you have to have a lot of in show business through this Tonight Show story because they turned me down. Letterman recommended me to The Tonight Show, and they yeah. turned me down for 
it was it's 10 years yeah. and it was going on for this guy Jim McCauley endlessly and each time trying to like you know mix it up like oh I'll wear a dress this time yeah. or I'll do this yeah. stuff or whatever and each time and I would do well and I was like no 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 and finally I just been on Letterman so many times it was like they couldn't kind of deny me right and um and I finally got to go on uh in February before Carson retired in May so it was very surreal because I'd never done the show and I only did it that one time but you know, sitting on the panel with him. And he had a very, uh, and I don't think it was as apparent as a viewer, a kind of a manic energy, like that pencil thing, that drumming, yeah. like being next to it, yeah. it was like a hundred times that. And yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. him commenting to me on one of my jokes, which was one of the bigger jokes in my act about, um, you know, I don't have any kids. Uh, well, at least none that I know about. Uh, yeah. And he was drumming, drumming, and he yeah. turned to me and he said that the, that uh, I don't have any kids thing. That's a good switch. Good switch, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, Off camera? Uh, yeah, hey, during yeah. the break. Oh, that's great. But I was great. also on with Bob Newhart, which was like, oh, holy fuck, this yeah. is perfect, yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think of that a lot where, because there's so much rejection in show business, and it's like there just comes to a point where people just can't, they can't deny you. Yeah, you yeah. just you just win the fucking race because you just hung in there. Yeah, I'm so, so I'm, I'm starting yeah. to feel that a little. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because well, when it comes right down to it, what else are you going to fucking do? Yeah. I mean, that's the weirdest moment. Is that you know? I mean, it seems that you've worked pretty steadily either writing or performing. But when you get down to that moment where you're like, fuck, mm -hmm. like, what if I really had to change? trajectory of yeah. life i have no idea what am i i mean the last job i had i was a cook in college at a restaurant making sandwiches right what, am i gonna go back to that <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you do anything before um because you we started in college so. i did start in college i had a job when i passed uh when i moved to the city mm -hmm. i was a secretary for a private investigator yeah yeah for a very long time, long enough to about get a year. Any, any good stories or sort of You know what details? it was, Mark? What? It was people who had to take lie detector tests to work at either Burger King or an escort service. So <laughs> I operated this thing called a dictaphone, yeah. which was just doing transcripts yeah. all day. So I was in kind of my little bubble of work and my boss was nice and he would let me work from 11 to 6 without a lunch so I could work late. Doing yeah, 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 yeah. But that was like basically it. And then... You know, that's what I mean, like the kinship among comics, like, you know, at that time where you didn't, you could give up your day job. And I remember doing Jersey gigs for like 40 bucks cash. And that oh, was like, oh my God, that's so much Driving money. an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. And working with another dude, like opening or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah completely. Yeah. And it was like, this is, I've, I've, I found the Holy Grail. I'm yeah. not, I'm a working comic. And you were a big comic, like in the 80s, you toured a lot. I, I did. mean, you were part of that whole boom of comedy. So you know all those clubs. You've been through all the fucking, like, I just played the Comedy Works in Denver for the first time. How was that? It was great. Yeah? Have you been there? I haven't in a long time. But it's the same place. It's in wow. that basement. I've been hearing about it for 20 years. Wow. And it was uh, it was exciting. Now, do you get people, because when I go to clubs now, I like to structure the show. I like to bring someone to open for me. Mm -hmm. Because I don't like any wild cards. <laughs> right, right. The weird host. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The weird host or the middle who is so filthy and then I go up and yes. I try to do my thing and it just is not working. So do you, you just... I, I've been bringing, I bring a guy sometimes mm -hmm. and sometimes I just kind of, 
there's always i think that it's karma sometimes to have a middle that you know <laughs> puts it makes it tough for you because yeah. i think i did that a bit when i middled and i sometimes i see it as like if i had a five out of six shows if the guy gets one over on me yeah then, uh, all right <laughs> it's i'm paying some sort of karmic debt mm-hmm. but i do bring a guy with me who i like to be with oh that's good uh, you know because it's more about hanging out yeah. than it is on stage like you know somebody's stuck something you know at a club with somebody you can't stand right and, you know, have that moment so, all right, so let's, the transition from, because you're writing on a show now or you aren't? You are? I'm not writing on a show, but I um, have uh, sold two scripts recently. Oh, yeah? yeah. For, for uh, half hours? Yeah, one um, for me not to be in, for, that's actually um, something I would just executive produce and write, and the other one for me to star in. Oh, really? Yes. And who'd you sell it to? I can't yeah. say because they're so uptight about they have to, uh, you know. And what's their role? It. Is it as you? Yeah, yeah, me as me as Carol Leifer and comedian and living my life, having a partner, you know, not having a kid, but and kind of, you know, my kind of curb. Oh, that's well, that's great. So yeah. single camera kind of. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, that's going to be great. Yeah, I hope um, it comes together. It's going to happen. Um, it's definitely, or I hope so. I just, you know. I can't say what network is, All just right. that, you know, Troy Miller is going to do it with me, too. He read it and loved it. And, and he did what? He does everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's very big writer-producer. So let's talk about the transition from uh, from Straight Carol to Not Straight Carol. Okay. Um, in that, I don't think I've had that conversation uh, with anybody. Maybe an, an really? ex-girlfriend that, you know, but at the time I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. Is, is it me? <laughs> so, so it was a different conversation. Yeah. Uh, than talking to somebody that had this happen sort of later in life, and and were you surprised by it? Or I mean, I was, how... <laughs> I was completely surprised, completely surprised. You were married to a you know, pretty manly man. Ma- not only married to a manly man, but my relationship with Scheidner was basically about sex. Yeah, I mean, I I know, you know, I'm not. I'm mindful of not speaking out of school, you know, yeah, with him. Yeah, right. Yeah, but um, it was a that was it. You know, we didn't drugs and sex. <laughs> drugs and sex. <laughs> and then he got sober. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't um, need to right, get sober, right, but right. Um, you know, I mean, crazy shit with just the eighties doing huh? acid. And <laughs> I remember Mark Schiff was performing down at Garvin's in, in D.C. and yeah. we t- took some acid. Shifted? Or you and Scheidner? Me and Scheidner and a guy named Michael Kane, uh, who's actually since passed on. But we took some acid and flew down. He took the train to D.C. and we flew down to be there in the front row when he got on, uh-huh. just to flip him out. Yeah, but I mean, I look did back it? on it now. It did, and we brought <laughs> pies and threw it in his face. I mean, the, and he's gone on to become a very Orthodox Jew. Isn't that funny? Well, it's weird how people, you know, what transitions they make later in life to, to sort of, you know, that everybody seems to be on a search whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. To, you know, and I, th- I think the comics, I know for myself, that you're really looking somehow to be true to yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you find this persona that works on stage and you have this uh, access to honesty that gets a very immediate response. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you sort of surprise yourself where it's sort of like I, part of what drives us is we're never quite comfortable or we wouldn't be up there fucking doing that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, something happens if you're lucky, then you all, you really become yourself and mm-hmm. whatever. It, it's just odd how people end up sober, radically Jewish, <laughs> uh, you know, gay, whatever. But, you know, you come around to a, to some realization where peace of mind and happiness become important. Yeah. So how did that happen? So, you know, I never felt, uh, um, you know, like I was hiding my sexuality. I mean, I, I really had good relationships with men, good sex with men. It was all working. It's just that... 
I went to this um, Project Angel Food event that... What is, um, wait, what is that? It's a great organization. They um, bring meals to housebound AIDS patients, uh-huh. and they're here in L.A., and they're great. And I was a guest at a table, and I looked across at me, and there's this woman who was with her girlfriend at the time, but she was absolutely gorgeous, and I really found myself like totally attracted to her and having this mad crush on her. Uh-huh. And... I think it was interesting too that I made it like a ch- like she was with I didn't give a shit that she was this other woman. I was like, yeah. what the fuck? You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was this your first woman crush? Yeah. Okay, so it was pretty powerful. So I tried to through friends kind of hook it up, but yeah. she was like not interested, and she told my friend, "I'm not going to be this experiment for a straight woman." Ba ba ba. Yeah. And then like she called me to um, play golf, which is another thing that like, hello, <laughs> didn't think you were gay. Um, <laughs> And we, you know, met for golf. And you play I thought golf. we played golf together. Do you play golf? I do. We okay. do. She's really good. I'm not as but, good. But I mean, when she asked you to play golf, had were you a oh, golf? Oh yeah, player? no, no, no. Oh, okay. I was. Uh, yeah, I had just started. Yeah, right. Actually, Larry David got me golf lessons for that year for my birthday, which oh, was very nice. sweet. <laughs> Thanks for making me a lesbian. <laughs> um, <laughs> laugh. Put that um, <laughs> but anyway, I really thought this is going to be be my chic lesbian fling, and uh-huh. wow, I'm cool, and this yeah. this was fun, and I just fell in love with her, and it really was this kind of realization of not only is this like working physically, it's like emotionally this is working in a way that it didn't before for right. me. And it's like almost 15 years later. Wow. So yeah. like working like like not like before because I'm just trying to think that it just seems like the dynamic that, that I experience in uh, relationships as a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, real intimacy is is tricky. And, and the trust involved is I don't think natural for comedians. So I mean, did you find that when you when you made that um, relationship happen, mm-hmm. that you, because it was a, a, a woman, that you were able not to be as guarded, or like, what what do you do? You ever psychoanalyze it? You know, that's a really really good question, Mark. Because I don't know what it is about her, whether it's her as her or just her as a woman, that made the relationship realer and deeper than right. it had been before right. with men. Yeah. And I mean, I do know that 15 years into it, of all the ups and downs about relationships, you need to be, you have to be honest with each other and the trust is based on the honesty. You know, when I hear about some people's relationships and the secrets that one has from the other about something that happened, or it's like, I don't get how they keep it together because to me, that's like the bottom line. It's What's sort be. of a, you, one of you is living a lie, you know, when you're in that kind of situation. Um, I mean, I know women who've had, like, abortions there of the guy's baby and have never told them and wound up marrying them. It's like, what the... And they're uh, still holding on to that secret. Yeah. Like, how do you have a real relationship with someone if you're hiding stuff as giant as that? Yeah. I don't know. But I don't know what clicked for me with her, but whatever did click, it clicked you know, in a big way. And it was very, you know, it's like a, a joke about it in my act. Like, you know, I went to gay bookstores for help. Like, yeah, do you have a copy of what the fuck just happened to me? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it was head spinning. This I kind can't, of, I can't imagine it really. Yeah. It, like you never, it was not something that you acknowledged as being latent in you before. I, you know, I felt myself attracted to women visually in yeah. certain ways but I'd had a, you know, threesome back in my drug-fueled early days with a woman and a guy, and 
you know, it was fun, the sex with the woman, but yeah. I didn't feel like, holy shit, I'm Any gay, more I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was like, oh, that was fun, but I'd like to move back now to cock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> move back to cock. This was good. Yeah, I'm going to go weird. home to cock. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what was so surprising yeah. to me. Yeah. Do you miss cock? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, honestly, what I miss about uh, being with a man, seriously, is the uh, bigness of a man, like being held by a man, right. embraced, right. and that bigness. Well, you can get that still. I guess yeah. if I wanted a, just a cheesy big squeeze from, but you know what I mean? That, sure, the sure. sizeness, being, yeah, yeah, because yeah. my partner is petite and mm-hmm. smaller than me. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. Well, that's interesting. So you know the cock or the mentality, all that. No, just the physicality. I don't know, the cock, that, it, you know, it you comes can, with a lot of bullshit. <laughs> There's a lot of bullshit involved. That goes both ways. <laughs> That's true. Vagina's got its issues. <laughs> yeah. Cock's got its own. But Michigas. It, but in all honesty, though, having been in a long-term relationship, I have to assume that a relationship is a relationship. Yes. I mean, you're going to go through everything you go through in any other relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, you know, people listen to me sometimes and I get, you know, flack, you know, for identifying gender difference or race difference. But I mean, it is different. Yes. But, you know, but ultimately, it's just people. It is ultimately just people, and sex is its own thing, right. whether it's a man or a woman. Right. And uh, relationships are hard. They're certainly, uh, you know, I don't know anybody who just breezes through their relationship. It takes work. Yeah. But I think ultimately, uh, it's very satisfying, you know, thing. I like being in a couple. And how long have you been in your couple? Right now? now? This, yes. Well, this one's gotten pretty, uh, it was, we went through a really gnarly, horrible breakup panic thing. Cause I've been divorced twice and the last one hurt bad. And I've done a lot of acting out because of it. And I was not in any way prepared to engage in, uh, in being in love or, or having that mm-hmm. or, or, or even addressing intimacy. Cause it was too, I'm too paranoid. You were married to Mishnah, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. You know her from book things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, she's got Pretty a baby too. now. Don't I know? She's got a baby <laughs> now, and whatever. And and I'm really just starting to be able to sort of deal with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my the hurt the the thing about being left is it's like you don't really have a choice. I mean, that's a horrible to realize you don't have control over. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it took a long time. But when I when we when I started with this one, it was all crazy because I'm crazy and I attract crazy people. And then it got really, it blew up in the worst, most dramatic way possible. And then after three months, I'm like, I want to try again. So that's sort of behind us. Like mm-hmm. I knew how bad it got. Yeah. And it got bad enough for me to be afraid of it. Uh-huh. So well, that it's shows kinda... that it has some durability. Well, well, now, you know, we're, you know, we're both afraid of that. <laughs> so <laughs> Does I, she live with you here? No. So a healthy amount of fear, uh, you know, is okay. Right. Uh, but I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm a childless man at 47. So I, you know, and people say, well, you could have a kid. I'm like, do I want one? I mean, how, what, you have a kid. I have a kid. How and old? I have my kid late. How old? My kid is five. Wow. And who, who had the kid? Uh, we adopted him uh-huh. from, uh, Guatemala. Uh-huh. Yeah. And is that uh, great? It is pretty great. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I would really recommend um, if, you know, you have to be ready for children yourself, obviously, first, but I recommend it to, you know, anybody who thinks they might be too old or whatever. It's like, I think having a kid, you know, older has is, is been great. Yeah. And I could do it at this age. I never thought I'd, I'd have kids. My partner, you know, started the discussion of wanting to do it. And I kind of went along for the ride, and it's like, wow, am I really glad that I went along for the ride. Is there a big age difference between you and your partner? I'm seven years older than her. 
That's not bad. No, it's not bad. Yeah. And how, what did your mom, the shrink, think of all this? Oh, my God. Um, you know what? This is, I think, the beauty of Judaism, Mark. Okay? <laughs> I, because please tell me what it is. It is. <laughs> this is why I love my faith. I love my tribe. You know, when this whole thing happened, I mean, with falling in love with my partner, Lori, I didn't go home until about a year to talk to my parents about it because you want to make sure it's real. Yeah. That's another thing for my act. You know, I didn't want to pull an Anne Heche. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went home and I really thought the way I, you know, my picture of it was that I'm going to be the rock and my parents are going to be the basket cases. And as life shows you, what you picture many times, the opposite happens. And I was the basket case. I was emotional about it. My parents were very cool about it. They were, you know, my mother was like, Look, love is a gift from God. Well, this is great. This is great news. Why are you upset? And I remember my father, my beautiful father, Amy Carroll, you know, why are you crying? And mm. I said, you know, Dad, because I thought you would be disappointed. And my father said, disappointed? I'll tell you when I was disappointed, when you married that Shagitz. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the fact that Lori is Jewish was oh, like the trump card. Oh, Hello, really? yeah, let's get the Manischewitz and do the horror. She's with a Jew now. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. That's very touching. Yeah. I, it really is. <laughs> I mean, you know, because what what, what do you, did, couldn't you identify that baggage that you brought to that thing other than just disappointment? I mean, had, were you, I, I mean, because that's heavy. You, it you is, know what I yeah. mean? That, you know, that you thought that they were more traditional or right. that they were expecting something from you. I just think when you come out, you have to face that thing of, my parents obviously were sorry that my first marriage didn't work, but they see you. They saw me with a guy and having kids and having that life and just being this, you know, still you, but a different, a different you, uh -huh. you know, and I love this person and she's a woman also to parents of my generation is still sure. very, yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. disconcerting. Yeah. So that was the hard, I think the hard, the most difficult part for me. But uh, just when I saw that they were like, look, it's you when you're in love, what's bad? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really something. Yeah. And that must be a fairly uh, uh, sort of um, empowering story to tell, I would think, to uh, to groups of people that have been through this. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, we could sit here and talk for another hour about the difference between gay men and, you know, gay women in terms of just sexuality. Like, I think men know instinctively what their sexuality is. It's not on such a, you know, continuum like it is with women where a woman, you know, can be with men and then be with women. You know, that's pretty um and and also I fluid. think like from an outsider's point point of view, it seems that the gay male community is is, you know, at, at different points in its history as a community, very defined specifically by the sexuality. Right. And that that women, you know, just gay women, by virtue of the fact that that gay community was already established, ha have sort of had to be aligned with that. And I don't think it's the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think also a, a woman saying that she, you know, is fell in love with a woman for parents, I, I think is easier to handle than a man falling in love with another really? man. I think it's a little still a little more of a little bit of a bridge too far. For right. Some, right. I mean, I th saw a really fascinating 2020, you know, where they do what would you do? They right. set up the thing and they had um, two women with kids in a restaurant in Texas and the waitress was like, I'm not going to serve you. You know, you're lesbian. And the the you know, the whole 
clientele in the restaurant like charge on this waitress like how dare you and you know you're a racist i mean you're homophobic and blah 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 it was like mayhem they did the same thing with two men who came in with two kids and the one said i'm not going to serve you and you're like you know most people didn't say anything and one guy was like gave her a thumbs up like covertly Right. right You know, there's still that huh. a lot of prejudice there. Yeah, it's 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 all sort of confounding because it's so threatening to people. Yeah, somehow that somehow they become very personally. There's something implicating about it. I'm not sure what it is because I don't understand how the first reaction is that's wrong. Like I I can understand the first reaction being like I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, you know, and you're going to react out of that. Yeah, but the morality thing I don't get. It's just baffling. Now, how did uh, some of the uh, the old guard uh, of your uh, of comedy peers react? Like Jerry and Larry and Paul? And... You know, they were all... Any good jokes? Great about it. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> well, my straight male friends, you know, were the most supportive, of course, because they were like, you know, I want to hear everything <laughs> slowly and in great detail. Right, right. Um, I remember Seinfeld saying to me, I think I will be your only male friend who... Um, is not sexually titillated by this, but you know, I don't know. Um, Again, this is why I'm uncomfortable with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's number two on the list. You know, he's no, I know yeah. he's being nice. Yeah, that was a good joke. No, they were all. Um, everybody was great. Yeah, yeah. And Larry, do you are you still friends with Larry Miller? Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine the sort of strange, kind of awkward, but very genuine yeah, no, reaction you he know, had. He is. Um, like I said, I have a really different relationship. They are like brothers. Yeah. And I feel we just did a temple. We did the University of Judaism together in December, a little holiday show. You and Larry? Yeah. That was great. Um, I don't know. I always feel like, like going back to what we said at the beginning of yeah. the trust, and especially with these guys that I came up with for 30, almost 35 years. Yeah. You know, I'll always know them in a different way than I know any other comics per se, even, yeah. because we shared so much. Do you feel that um, that comedy has changed at all or has just gotten bigger? I mean, do you feel like that you have a, a different attitude towards whatever's happening now in comedy? or Because I think it was a much more intimate business when you started. It was, but I think the great equalizer, and you know, tell me if you agree with me or disagree, I, I still think you know, funny works, and when you're not funny, it doesn't. And it's like whatever I m- may like about certain comics or not like, it's like if they get the laughs and people are enjoying it, it's like they're doing it. Right. You know? Yeah. And I've grown to feel that way too. And the kind of the bright, the people who are the bright stars who yeah. kind of really don't have any legs, it's proven eventually. Yeah. You it, know, that they don't have it. That's right. You know, if you stay in it long enough, not only, like you said, well, eventually you'll get your shot, and, and you know, hopefully if you don't destroy yourself. Right. But you also live long enough to see people go up and come down mm-hmm. and then try to figure out what they're going to do next. It's yeah. A, it's a long haul. Uh-huh. And, and all this, you know, when you see the, the sort of bravado that comes with somebody rising, that you just sort of like, why? Well, I hope, you Sit know. Sit tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's only a handful of dudes that you know made the you know there, and you know a lot of them that you know the one thing I that I admired about Paul when I talked to him was that you know after he made all that money and he did his run he was like yeah I'm gonna relax mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna raise my kid yeah. you know I'm gonna live a quality of life that I that that I'm enabled to yeah by this tremendous success and I'm gonna enjoy it mm-hmm. I, you don't talk to many people like that no no and he really is. I think of all the funny people I've known over my amazing life and career, he's like still one of the funniest. I mean, one-on-one in a group, 
the funniest guy yeah. ever. Oh, he's yeah. just, it's so in him, that spark, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. He's just so good. Yeah, and he, I think he really got outside, because I, I gravitated towards him as well after I saw a Diner and before I'd done comedy. I thought he had a very uh, interesting timing, and he was very quick, and he was kind of soft and very charming. And, you know, he wasn't uh, not overbearing. Yeah. And it was always sort of like, you know, I'm just thinking about something. Right, you, right, you, right. You, you know, and he I think he was also, also fortunate that he was a good looking guy. Uh huh. You know, then that, that had a lot to do with, yeah. like, you know, his ability to kind of really manifest a movie career and everything mm-hmm. else. Because Louis C.K. once said to me years ago, he's like, you know, we were walking down the street in the Lower East Side. He's like, I just want to get on Letterman before I lose all my hair and get really fat. <laughs> and he was so mad about somebody in the business because he's like, comedy was for us, the, the ugly guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Paul was an attractive guy. Yeah. But, but you know, even that, that's what I love about comedy too. You know, I love Louis' show. And like when I watch it, it makes me feel good about the state of the art. And I, I was just flying back from New York, you know, this Sunday and I'd never seen the show episodes. Yeah. And I watched it and it's fucking great. Which one? Oh, the Louis C.K. show? No, no episodes yeah, yeah. is the one with Matt LeBlanc and oh, Showtime yeah, 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 show. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I kind of watched it reluctantly and it's like, oh my God, it's really fucking good. Yeah, I think that a lot of things get missed now because of the media landscape. Yeah. I mean, even Julia Louis drives us a show. Mm-hmm. She is such an amazing comic actress. I mean, I'll, I'm a fellow on a plane. Like, I don't find myself watching it at home, but the new old Christine stuff. Yeah, yeah. But she's just so fucking funny. Yeah. She's great. That show I thought was great. Yeah, and that guy who plays her husband. Were you friends with her? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, when you work on that show, it was. I know that you know uh, most people think you're you're together all the time. It's like you're really with the writers all the time. You know, you're In with the room, cast, hammering yeah. out stories. I mean, that's know. what made me yeah. laugh. I'm sure all of us so much about the Charlie Sheen thing. It's like you have the dream job. You're an actor on a sitcom, not even a drama. You work for two hours yeah. every day yeah. and you're paid this much the dream job so but but that was true about the cast too i mean it's like lightning in a bottle to get right. those four together right. right and set up the team that larry and jerry did it are you, know? you friends with michael richards i haven't seen michael i mean i like michael yeah. and yeah because he know. was sort of a comic uh, uh, you know uh, originally wasn't he? he but was. he was out here though wasn't yeah he yeah and he was on fridays with, with larry, larry david yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's how how yeah, he's an, he's an odd guy. I, I don't know how to get in touch with him. I try to talk to him. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I mean, I got to figure it out. I still book this, you know, by virtue of like, you know, how do I get hold of you on Facebook? Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great talking to you, Carol. Yeah, same here. What's, uh, what's the name of the book is If You Lie About Your Age. When the, You Lie About Your when Age. When Your Age, Lie About Your Age. Terrorists Win. And that's available and you still do comedy uh-huh. and you're working and you're an inspiration. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I'm being honest. Wow. Well, I really um, enjoyed it, but I knew I would because I've listened to your podcast and you're a comic. Yes. I mean, right there. Yeah. You know, Emmys, right there. And and a Jew. Yes. So, and we didn't do a lot of Jewy stuff. No. That's good Mm because I thought that might happen. Yeah. But we're Jews. We're Jews. We know that. Enough said. (laughs) Thanks. That's our show, folks. Thank you for listening. Did I just say, folks? That's our show. What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? People? I'm sorry I'm so punchy. I mean, I, can, I feel like I can barely talk. I slept like three hours because I was packing and eating tortilla chips and watching television uh, and tweeting when I should be sleeping. But that's our show. Please go and thank you, Carol Leaper. What a lovely woman. Uh, and what a, what, a, what a fun time it was to talk to her. And go to WTFPod.com. Please get on the mailing list. I'm about to write an update right after I say this. 
Uh, get on that mailing list. I do email you guys, uh, you know, every uh, Monday. Uh, get uh, get the app. Uh, you know, uh, upload the, the premium app. Listen to all of the episodes from episode one. You can get an app for an iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, Droid. You can get a desktop app, uh, and with that upgrade, you can you can stream every episode. Obviously, the most recent fifty are always free. Kick in some shekels. We are still, you know, listener supported. Even though it sounds like we're running a big operation over here, I'm still in my garage. I'm still sweating. I'm making a living, but that's part of it. If you want to support the show, if you kick in the $10 a month donation, I'll send you a T-shirt. If you do, uh, there's other, you can donate whatever amount you want. If you do the 250 Super Premium donation, I'll give you all four of my CDs. Used to be three, now it's four. A special Best of WTF Volume 1. Two t-shirts, yep, stickers, and you know what? How about a button? I got buttons. Did I mention that? I got buttons. Love buttons. I'm at Hilarities this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That is August 25, 26, 27, 28 in Cleveland, Ohio. Who wants a button? Anyone want a button? You can go to busybeaver.net slash WTF right now. And get a free limited edition glow in the dark with Mark Marin button. Glow in the dark with Mark Marin button. How about a glow in the dark WTF with Mark Marin button for free? First 500 people, get on it. Busybeaver.net. Also, go there and order your buttons. You can get buttons for anything. It's amazing. Holy fuck, I'm all buttoned out. Stan Hope on Thursday. <laughs>